0: back. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. Recently, I was inspired by a number of things to re-release this conversation that I had with Phil Rosenthal from back in 2018. This conversation took place originally right before his brand new Netflix show was about to come out with its first season. And that show, most of you have probably seen it, it's called Somebody Feed Phil. I love this show. It's now just released its sixth season. And aside from that, if you don't know Phil, He's an American television writer, producer, best known for being the creator, writer, executive producer for the sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. I was inspired not only by seeing that next season come out of that show, but also thinking ahead to American Thanksgiving coming up soon and the food aspect of that, as well as I was talking to a friend, recounting all the traveling that I had done this year. More traveling than I've done in any single year of my life previous. And so that with the food and the traveling and the family, and the friends and Phil on the mind, as well as thinking about creativity recently, all of that kind of bundled together and said, you know what, Phil's episode is all about that. I really want to re-release this conversation because we talk about creativity and the process when it came to creating Everybody Loves Raymond and the process of drawing the creative element out of yourself when it comes to using personal experience and integrating that into whatever it is that you're doing. But not only that, but we talk about the importance of family, the importance of food, and the importance of fun and traveling, and all of those things encompass who Phil Rosenthal is to me. And so I was very privileged to be able to record with him. Uh, A friend of mine, Mark Malkoff, connected us, and then I started watching somebody feed Phil after recording this with him, and it's just been a blast. So I wanted to put this out there again for you to enjoy around this family time that's coming up. This is a perfect episode to get into that mindset, not only creatively, but also into that warming your heart, warming your spirit with your family, with your friends, with that food, and cuddle up and watch Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Phil Rosenthal. This week, it is my privilege to welcome Phil Rosenthal. Phil, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. I am just ecstatic to have you a uh, friend of ours, mutual friend of ours. Mark Malkoff reached out to me and he said, hey, my Phil, my my Phil, my friend, Phil Rosenthal. What in his spell? <laughs> he said, my friend, Phil Rosenthal has this new show on Netflix. Now, I didn't know your name, but I knew your face and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized I'd seen the show pop up on Netflix. And then I'd also thought, Why do I know that face? And then I realized who you were and what you'd done. And I'd seen you in a couple of like television documentaries, giving commentary on this or that. And I thought, oh, this is very cool. So, but then I realized, oh, you've made one of my wife's favorite television shows ever. Everybody loves Raymond, which is probably the thing you're most known for. Right. I
1: would guess that would be it on the tombstone. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Here lies Ray's creator. Well, yeah. not, not V-Ray, not Ray Romano, but the show, right? Anyways. Didn't create him. No. <laughs> that would be awkward. But yeah, <laughs> you could. So you so you've been into comedy and writing and all that. And, and you'd done other writing on other shows, but then you moved into Raymond and basically you were the, what was your official title on that show? You weren't just creator, but you ran the whole thing for all nine years. I guess
1: there's a, there's a, a term that, that's known in Hollywood. It's called showrunner. Mm. But that's not an official title. In other words, it's not, you don't see that on the credits, but showrunner means the kind of auteur of the show, the person who runs the entire show, every decision passes through my head if I'm the showrunner, right? So that's everything from, is this shirt okay for this scene to the dialogue in the scene to the staging of the scene, to the way it's shot, to the way it's edited, to the way the guest cast is, to to ev- every single element that you can think of in making a show. And, you know, for me, the most important element, what was the food going to be like backstage? <laughs> that was <laughs> nice. the most important. Yes. So that's a showrunner. But I guess the official
0: title for me was Executive Producer creator. And again, showrunner is probably this title that is this all-encompassing title. It's a title of titles because you were involved heavily in the writing process. I mean, you're in the writing room with the writers drawing from I would say that your family experiences.
1: One, that, that, I would say that's the number one job of, of a showrunner is, is to make sure the writing is, uh, is what it should be. And, now, and uh, yes, I'm involved in the writing of every single script, if not alone, then with uh, the other people and
0: supervising the writing of the show. Well, and if you do it right, and your end goal is to do what you guys did, you end up on screen with something that's very similar to the life experiences cumulatively of the writer's room. Because I know, for example, the parents in the show are basically your parents.
1: Well, I didn't know Ray's parents. The the show is loosely based on his Not it says at the end of the show, the actual credit that Ray gets is based on the stand up comedy of Ray Romano. But that's not really true. It's really based on his actual life. In other words, he really had twin boys and an old daughter and parents who lived close by and a brother who lived with them. who was a police sergeant. Right. And was jealous of him. All that is true. What I did was. Imagine it as a sitcom. And then what I didn't know about his family. I filled in with the personalities of my family. And sometimes these things work. Not all the time, but sometimes (laughs) if you get very lucky, things gel and seem to go together. So there's so many things that you have to get lucky on, right? You have to get lucky that someone at CBS will like this pilot script enough to let you go forward with filming of a pilot. And then you have to cast a pilot. And that you have to get very lucky in every part. Because imagine the show, if you know it, with anyone different in any of the parts. Maybe the show doesn't work anymore, right? Yeah. So that has to be lucky. You have to, you know, it has to be well directed. It has to be well shot. It has to be well edited. The audience that comes to the taping has to like it. The people who see the tape when they test it have to like it. And then CBS has to have room on the schedule and think that it goes with something else that they have. So this is uh, when people ask me, they say, it's like winning the lottery, isn't it? I say, no, it's like winning the lottery over and over and over again. Literally all the planets have to line up for <laughs> for, for one of these things to even get on the air. And then any success beyond that is just
0: like crazy gravy. Yeah, man. And. Not only that, but then you get to, after having won the lottery so many times in a row, you get this kind of almost envious position of being able to just draw from your own life experiences and share that in a creative way. This was the best
1: part. Uh, this is, this is what, you know, we stumbled on. I stumbled on in writing the pilot even. I thought that I would write a scene in which I could illustrate how crazy Ray's parents were. And so, in the pilot episode, I wrote a scene that was taken from my actual life where I got my parents a gift of the Fruit of the Month Club. Do you know the Fruit of the Month Club? Yes. So, my parents reacted as if I had sent them a box of heads from a murderer. They couldn't believe that fruit was going to come every month. They didn't know what to do with all of it. And it was actually. Uh, an absolute imposition and a terrible thing that I did, right? And, And at one point, my mother said, I can't talk anymore. There's too much fruit in the house. So I put that in the show, thinking that maybe the audience would think, oh, Ray's parents are crazy. What I didn't realize was that in being specific with such a specific thing like Fruit of the Month and that very specific reaction, that turned out to be an almost universal thing. Because we relate to other people in terms of specifics. This is something I stumbled on. This is not something I knew inherently. I, I, I knew maybe in the back, in the back of my mind, maybe that's why I was attracted to shows that I liked. But it turns out that the more specific you get, the more universal something becomes.
0: Does that make sense? Totally. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I can relate to that because, for example, another example um, that's in the show at later points is the suitcase argument where the yes. suitcase, they come, you know, when Ray and Deborah come home and the suitcase is sitting <laughs> at the front of the door or up the stairs and no right. one's going to move it. And I've had right. that or and or versions of that uh argument or stalemate even with my own wife. And I know others who uh, who have as well. Right.
1: So if we're looking at that one, for instance, that Tucker Cawley wrote and he wrote it because that's how it worked at the show. If you had the thing happen to you at home, you know, your job, if you worked for me, was to go home, get in a fight with your wife and come back in and tell me about it. (laughs) So this happened to Tucker and he came in and talked about this and we all related to it, all the married guys. And, uh, and, And there was one single guy at the table and he said, are you crazy? Just move the suitcase. Who cares? who?" And we all the married guys all at once said to Tucker, you do not move that suitcase. This is a war. It's war. And, and we hit on this universal thing of sometimes marriage is a little bit like war. You want to be right. You want to win. Now, the generic version of that argument would be I do everything and you do nothing right around the house. Yes. They could sit on the couch and have an argument like that. That's fine. And I think people would go, yeah, that's kind of like us. But when you pin it all on a very specific thing of a couple that comes back from a little weekend vacation and the husband brings in the suitcase and he sets it down on the landing of the steps and he goes to work the next day and he comes home and the suitcase is still there and he he looks at it, huh, he says, and he goes back to work the next day and he comes back from work and it's still there, right? Now there's a silent kind of Mexican standoff going on. (laughs) A kind of war in the house between a husband and a wife. The wife is saying, why should I move the suitcase, right? And the husband is saying, why should I move the suitcase? I'm the one who carried it in. I'm going to work. Isn't it the woman's job to take the suitcase upstairs and do the laundry if I'm at work? Right? You can't say that today. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't say that today. Yeah. We Everyone should be equal. Is what is what I really think, Monica, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so this was a very, very relatable thing and kind of a, a classic struggle, I think. You could have done that show in 1952, maybe. Maybe you would have had more people on the side of the man at that time. Mm. But I think it would have been, I think every woman watching at that time would have said, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. Why should I be the one who always has to move it? It's just that in 1952, women weren't as vocal about saying it as they are
0: today. I I think I could see, you know, this same thing playing out similarly, but with different kind of subtext to it. If it was on, say, the Dick Van Dyke show and Mary Tyler Moore speaking up about it, you know. But you would
1: be on their side. Yeah, you would. You would absolutely see their side. They would always, you know, on television, they would say the right thing. But it just took a long time for society to catch up. So this
0: whole idea of <laughs> sending your writers home to get in fights with their yeah. wives to bring stories yeah. back. So what's that look like in the room? Like, oh my gosh, guys, I've got a whopper of a tape. Like, this is what happened to me. Listen to me. Like,
1: yeah, I wish we were that uh, cogent and smart. Here's <laughs> what usually happened. Now, this is true that, that, you know, you, you, I wasn't literally sending you home to fight, but I was sending you home in time for dinner because that's where life happens. Mm. So we never worked late because part of homework, which was, it was never said out loud. Part of homework was to live your life. I learned this from the Dick Van Dyke show from Carl Reiner, who said to his writers, what happened at your house this week? And I thought, listen, we're doing a a show about a family. Shouldn't this be the same modus operandi of, of this show? We should be drawing from our real lives. And so we did. But we weren't as astute always. <laughs> we would come in in the morning and we would do what every office does, procrastinate. We would sit with our bagel or our cereal and gather around and just talk in an effort to actually avoid working, right? But usually around the time we were going to order lunch, someone would have a funny story just in conversation and we'd say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> maybe we." Should In our stupid show. Yes, put it on the blackboard. Yes, let's let's try it.
0: And in that sense, you're having that relationship with each other in the writer's room makes it to the point where you're not, you know, coming in and trying to pitch your story. Instead, you're all living life together that way as well. And then the stuff comes up naturally, and then it feels more like a story being told versus something being pitched, right? you got it and
1: and we just felt like our best stories like that baggage one isn't it great that it's actually called baggage <laughs> yes all the best stuff comes from that comes from when it feels real and this is kind of the the kind of my values it's what i like in a show the shows that i grew up on the honeymooners all in the family the odd couple uh roseanne taxi mary tyler moore especially these were shows w- that were believable and relatable. They weren't so crazy that the the plots and the dialogue took you out of the story. You believed that these were that they could be real people, that they could be living on the planet Earth and that they were uh people three-dimensional people with with uh bad things that happened to them as well as just comedy. Mm-hmm. Right? There were moments of drama, which I always think add so much to the show because nobody's just laughing all the time. And it's silly if
0: they are. It makes it more endearing because it's got that relatability to it again. And that factor again, coming from the fact that it's coming from real, the real lives of you and Ray and the other writers. And you're drawing on you being home by, you know, being home for dinner and dinner being where life happens, which again is really cool that that ties into food as we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, then again, so, so are you, <laughs> well, are you, here's the thing Yeah, you can't write about, you can't write about real life
1: unless you have one.
0: Y- yes. Yes. Of course, sometimes though, the writing maybe feels like it's homework again. Wh- that's why you guys goofed off in the writer's room so much and got to yes. the point where you, I-, I know you call it kind of, ru- uh, you know, warming up the car. Yes, that's right. It is. And, and all the jokes and terrible things that we say that, that are
1: very politically incorrect. It's all. Just for us, all knowing that these are shocking things that no one should ever say out loud, it's all to get you in the proper mindset of writing something funny that can be said out loud, that can be on television. And by the way, I wish that, i and this is the old man in me coming out, I wish that more shows that the writing was a little more than just sex and shock jokes, That that, that we kept it in the room a little more. And put out stuff that was uh, a little deeper. I'm not saying that I don't like a good, shocking joke or or a sex joke now and then, but there should be more to life than just that.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I think even CBS wanted you guys to go further in that direction, but you kind of reined it in, right? Well, that that unfortunately, that's what sells tickets, right? Right. But when they said we we wish you were a little hipper
1: and edgier, a little hotter and sexier. And I'm like, "What? Well, well, you got the right guy. I'm Mr. Hip and Edgy." <laughs> it's a better show not to be so
0: uh on the nose with everything. Right. Yeah. I, again, a lot of, you know, going back to the suitcase, the, to the yeah. actual baggage, uh yeah. that that metaphorical baggage of there's yeah. an argument happening here without words. Exactly right. That's kind of where it comes down to, right? It's like you 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 come to this point where you know, you've brought in all these different ideas. You, you've captured lots of ideas. And by the way, like you're you're not saying go home and have dinner with your family. And then if something happens while you're sitting there, pull out a notebook and write it down. And no, live it, it. live it. Live it. My, my friend Steve Scrovan, who worked on the show,
1: he said that sometimes his wife would see when they were in a big argument. She would notice a look in his eye and she would say, this is not for the show. <laughs> Because he would start going, Hey, I could use this, right? And she was and and the joke was, then she would see how much Steve was gonna get for the script, and she would say, Okay, this you could use for the show.
0: (laughs) Uh, Wives of creatives across the land know that look. By the way, they were they were the
1: co writers of the show, our wives.
0: Yes. Completely.
1: We owe them we owe them everything. We wouldn't we the show wasn't just from a man's point of view we had women in the writer's room too we had women writers those of us lucky enough to have wives we had wives who were really weird not only are we running everything
0: by them to see if they last but stories were coming directly from them how did that dynamic change for you because you had a unique position where your wife eventually was literally on the show acting. yes yes yes
1: uh she, I have to say that a lot of the, the stories, uh, and a lot of Deborah's personality, I, I kind of used Monica's personality, but the, the sweetest part of Monica, the, the, the part, you know, that people fall in love with whenever they meet her, me included was Amy. And we knew that that, if we had a date for Robert early in season one, It wasn't even my idea, by the way. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to push my wife onto my television show. I know what people would say. I know what it looked like. So I was never going to bring it up that she was an actress. But one of the other writers said, Hey, what about Monica for this part? And they had to really convince me that it would be okay, that uh, she was so good that people wouldn't say, Oh, look, he put his wife on the show. Mm, Yeah. Right. I didn't want to do that to her either because. That's not nice to to be that actor who, who, you know, people are saying you only got the part because, you know, you slept with the producer. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we tried it once. Well, that episode, people loved her right away. And I was so thrilled. And then we tried her one more time. They loved her again. And then off and on, we had her dating Robert until season seven when we ran out of ideas for the show. Like, what do, do we feel like we're, we're finished with stories. What else can we say? And we had the idea that Robert should get married, and that could change things up a bit. Whoever he married, we could bring in that girl's family and add some new blood to the show. And and sure enough, when we, we all decided it had to be Monica, and then we cast uh, her family, we had Georgia Engel as her mother, and Fred Willard as her father, and chris elliott as her brother what a cast yeah it was so great and so we got another season and a half out of that just from having stories to do with that other family
0: yeah how how do you know then i mean i guess you you kind of do you hinted at you know you're you're around season seven out of nine and you're realizing okay we are kind of winding down how do you know when something creative that you're working on is kind of coming to a close and you want to end it well very easy. You start running out of ideas.
1: <laughs> By the time we were done, we had done 110 wow. episodes. Go write, go write 210 stories about one family right now. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not so easy. It's it's very hard. And, and, uh, we didn't want to repeat ourselves. And frankly, I'd seen a lot of shows where they stay too long and they generally stay for two reasons. One is they're having a very good time and they're very popular and people like it and it's fun. And the number one reason, we know what that is, the money. These are not good creative reasons to stay. Having fun and getting money is not what makes a good show. What makes a good show is you have enough gas in the car to keep going. And the gas, in our case, were the stories and the and the scripts. That's the gas of any show. And once that goes, you're running on fumes. And we all know the shows that stayed at the party too long. We thought, and this is an old showbiz axiom, we should get off the stage before somebody says, hey, you should get off the stage.
0: The show ended when? I forget how long. I mean, it ran nine years. Right. 2005. 2005. Okay. Yeah. So then you've got almost 10 years later, you get in front of the camera with a passion that you've had. Well, multiple passions, really. Traveling and food. And you produce and star in uh, I'll Have What Phil's Having on PBS, which is great. Thank you. It all stems from an episode of
1: Raymond. We did an Italy show. And Ray had never traveled before. Was it I said, why not? He said, I'm not really into other cultures. And I thought, oh, we gotta do that episode. We gotta send them over to Italy as Ray himself. And we gotta send them back as me, someone excited about traveling and Italy and the food in Italy. And so wrote that script. Uh took three years to convince CBS and Ray to travel overseas to film an episode in Italy. And the best thing about that episode, as good as it is, we think, is I saw what happened to Ray, the character, happened to Ray, the person. He really transformed. He got it. He got woke. (laughs) And right then and there, I said, what a joy this is to turn people on to something you love. There's no better high in life, I think. And so I thought, I want to do a show where we can do this for other people. And for those, those, that was the year 2000. So actually since then, I wanted to do this show. I did other things. In the meantime, I wrote a book. It's about a lot of the things we've been talking about today. It's called You're Lucky You're Funny, How Life Becomes a Sitcom. And it's about the making of Raymond as a specific example of how to turn your actual life into something useful, like a sitcom. (laughs) Uh, and also art from, from, from the beginning to the end so i wrote that book and then i i i tried other pilots and things that nobody wanted for whatever reason either i didn't want to capitulate to what they wanted or they didn't want what i did which was kind of in the raymond style kind of fell out of favor i felt once we uh graduated from everybody loves raymond we felt that the business had changed somewhat it was very hard to get raymond on the show like raymond that was I guess tame by comparison to other shows. It was hard to get it on in 1996, let alone 2006. Uh, I well, made a movie, a documentary about going to Russia to try to help the Russians do their version of Raymond called, uh, called exporting Raymond. They wanted to turn it into everybody loves Kostya <laughs> and
0: we filmed assets. That's on Netflix now too. Exporting Raymond. Yes. I watched and that.
1: People, Oh, thanks.
0: Yeah, that, it, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I mean, just again, going back to the relatability, like you go in thinking, oh, yeah, you know, just what are the cultural touchstones? Like there's universal. Yeah. The family's universal. And, and to watch it kind of, you know, no spoiler alert, in a sense, it wouldn't be a great movie if it, there wasn't struggle. But like th- it doesn't go well.
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> it's it really plays like a comedy. Yes, because it's about a schnook like me. Who thinks he's an expert in something, my TV show, who goes to a land where nobody cares. Nobody cares. They're going to do it their way. And here's what's wrong with your TV show. And here's why it's never going to work here. Uh, you know, they thought that the Russian male was completely different than the American male. The Russian male is strong and does not listen to the wife at all. I think that even Putin, when he comes home, his wife tells him to take those boots off. You get mud in the house, and so uh, this was the struggle for me because uh, it was all about relatability again, and and the the kind of uh, the kind of uh, armor we put up, you know, and and just communication. That's really what it's about. How you can't even communicate. Listen, I have trouble communicating in my own house. <laughs> ideas, right? <laughs> so imagine another country where they 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 really want to put on a a cover. Anyway, I did that. People saw that show, that movie, and uh, had a meeting. I think it was at PBS. And they said, we like the idea of you going places. (laughs) We can see you going places. Yes. And I I said, so does my wife. (laughs) And they said, do you have any ideas? And I said, yes, here was the idea. I'd like to go around the world and try to get you to travel by showing you the best places to eat. And they said, okay. here's six episodes. I'll have what Phil's having,
0: which that is also it's it. That is not the new show, but that nope. is the, nope. the old version of essentially the same show. Um, it's the same show.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, and those, those first six episodes of all have what Phil's having. Those are on Netflix now. And now Netflix has picked up the show and retitled it. It's now called somebody feed Phil, but it's pretty much the same show. It's just shot in 4k. Now, everything looks beautiful except for your host. And then, Uh, we have a theme song.
0: So people who either liked the old show should be happy. Hey, there's a new season or people who try out the new show and love it. Like I do are able to be, you know, happy as well because, oh, there's another whole season you didn't know about. That's right. Of course, the new one, the new one shot in 4k, which, which for some of these locations, man, I got to tell you, like to see it in 4k on a big screen, like this is, is that this what is, you have yes th- this is Great. one of those shows where you you know how you probably heard the the term uh second screening where people are watching tv and they have their phone out at the same of time and playing on it this is not one of those shows to do that with you sit there it demands your attention yes it's yes, because the it's, photography is beautiful yes i owe it i owe it all
1: to the geniuses that 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 we have uh, as uh directors of
0: photography wonderful guys amazing And, uh, I mean, you're going around and you're almost doing that living life in, but this time, instead of taking it to the writer's room, you're taking it right there to the, it's almost the reality TV version of you living out your life, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's not, I mean, it's funny that it it is a reality show, but it doesn't feel like a reality show.
0: Well, but uh, in the same way, like it's relatable because we're watching you uh the, in other words, the relatability this time comes from not just you bringing your stories that happened to you or other people, but us seeing you be the everyman traveling and you're eating these things that most of us have never had or being in places most of us have never been. And we're relating to your reactions, either in the awe and wonder and the discovery of the things or in the oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's going to eat that.
1: Well, I'll tell you how I sold the show. I said, I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. <laughs> and I, I believe that there are lots of people like me out there, people who watch Anthony Bourdain as a superhero, who say, he's amazing, I'm never doing that. And I think if they see a putz like me out there, they say, if he can go outside, maybe I can too. And so I'm trying to relate to my fellow couch mates who sit and watch, and don't travel. You know, two-thirds of Americans don't have a passport. And I think the world would actually be a little better if we all could experience a bit of someone else's experience. So that's the point of the show, is to get you to travel. It couldn't just be me going around. There's some of that in there, but all of that is just to entice you, because I know how food crazy we all are. I'm Mm -hmm. one of them. But I'm just using the food and hopefully humor to get you to connect to the people and to see that the value in traveling and you can have these experiences you can have them in your own town if you can't afford to go overseas yet you can you can go to a a strange uh ethnic restaurant that's strange to you right and try a dish oh but what if i don't like it so so what take a bite you don't like it move on We're adults. Mm -hmm. We can, we can not like things. The tasting is its own reward. And by the way, you can check on your phone, the menu of the place of the Peruvian restaurant down the, down the street that you always go by and you never go into. I don't know what that is. I don't know what. Well, why don't you look at the menu? Oh, they have chicken and rice. I like that. Yes, you like that. Why don't you try it? Is it clean? Do I know if it's clean? Look at the rating. What's it say? Oh, yeah, I guess (laughs) that's me too. That's me too. I go past things a hundred times. Never think to go in there, right? Either, either it's dumpy or it's it's in a strip mall. Or why would I go in there? You know, I've had some of the best sushi in my life going into strip malls in Los Angeles.
0: Uh, Speaking, speaking of sushi, I like. I honestly never thought that I was going to be so into it, but now that's passing on to my just turned into a teenage daughter, and that sense of adventure, that sense of excitement, or discovery and and getting out of your comfort zone and trying things like she'll go with me to the place i get the sushi from and she typically was getting you know rice and chicken and sweet and sour sauce and all that but she'd see me she'd she now says can i pick out your sushi and then now we're at the point where she says can i try some of your sushi that's it that's it and guess what that's the culture she's getting a
1: little japanese culture in her right yes so she likes that. Maybe she's interested then in the next step, which is, oh, let's watch this thing about Japan. Oh, yeah, that's the 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 food is kind of the gateway drug to the culture.
0: It is. Yeah. It, it, they say, you know, food is the gateway to the, the man's heart or whatever you want to call it. I, I'm, yes. I'm butchering the phrase, but like, no, it really, you're right. I mean, you're you're dealing in these universals when it comes to what you're, you know, creatively doing is you're working with food and you're working with laughs, laughs and and the bonding between those food
1: is the great connector and laughs are the cement hmm when we sit together and have a meal if it's any good at all you know we're a little happy let's say we just met and we're going to have lunch if the if the food is good we're already a little bit happy even if it's bad at least we're sitting and eating together and not killing each other right and then if we share a laugh if if I think you have a good sense of humor or you like my sense of humor, well, now we're friends. Now we might eat again.
0: <laughs> I'm sure we would if, if if we ever meet in person. I will I will feed Phil. Oh, that's for sure. That's,
1: that's why I called the show that because I'm looking for free food wherever I go. <laughs> that's what somebody feed Phil. I feel like I feel like I'm a dog, and people forgot about me. And you came home and say, <laughs> Hey, did
0: somebody feed Phil? So I forgot to feed the Phil. Well, right. the the new show, like, I, I mean, I got to say, like, it is just, it, it's a delight to watch. It does what you, for me, I can say that it did what your intended goal was, which was it got me interested in getting more out of my, I mean, I was already obviously in, interest, interested in sushi. Um I loved walking through Thailand and seeing all the, uh, it's just so beautiful and so delicious looking. And oh, it's great! It makes me want to go there, not just for the great. food, but to go there at yes. all, and all these places that you're going to, and and I'm, yes, and, and hang out other, with the elephants. Yes, yes, that was oh gosh, t- the the time with the elephants, and then <laughs> where, where the one hits you in the head with the uh, the tail at the end. It's just uh <laughs> oh, a good little just button moment on the whole episode.
1: Well, uh, the move, the, the show is kind, you know, it's it's a food and travel show, but it's also kind of part sitcom. I realize, yes, because. I understand that I'm a certain character, and this character is going into different situations. And if you know the character, then you're laughing already just at what you can tell I'm thinking. That's what a sitcom does. So it's a kind of hybrid, I realize, of forms.
0: Yes, it definitely is. And that's why, and, and again, it's, it's, it's that you could have a family sit down and watch one of these together. And yes, and and that's what I was trying to do with with my kids and my wife. And and, you know, they were actually starting to get into it. And I thought this is this is very cool. And and by the way, it the it being on Netflix, both the seasons of the show to an extent being on Netflix isn't a reason to go sit down and watch all of them at once. I think you kind of want to treat them like uh, bottles of wine where you open one and fully enjoy it and then you don't crack the next one open right after the other and binge watch them all. Eric, thank you for saying that because that's exactly my attitude.
1: First of all, we spend months on each episode and people are ripping through. I got up, uh, I, I think it premiered midnight, uh 12 a.m. on Friday morning. By the time I got up uh at 7 a.m. Friday morning, I already, people were tweeting, watch the whole thing, watch all six episodes. Oh, I'm wow. Like, Why did you do that? We, we, you have to be first. You have to get it all in. Now you don't have it anymore unless you go back and watch it, which people seem to be doing, which is nice. But yes, you, I don't want people to get sick of the show. I don't want them to miss the details, which you have to
0: do if you're rushing through them. Don't you break the rules here with this? Don't second screen it. Sit down and, and actually pay attention and focus on it and enjoy it to a much more uh, deeper level. And two, don't do all six of them and, and then the other six as well. All at at the same time, like parse it out, even even if you had to like one a night as like an event for the week, like is the fastest I would suggest. But I'd even say, like, pick a one night a week. What about this? Pick one night a week where you watch it as a family and then sit down and have dinner together and try new foods. How great is that? I love your idea. By the way, that's the way that because the nature of PBS,
1: that's how it was. For the first uh, six, right? Right. It was once a week. Um, But you know what? I can't tell you how to watch the show. You're sure. going to watch it the way you want to watch it. And I'm happy if you watch it at all. So, yes, you're right, though. Uh, I, I would prefer it if you savored it. We spend a lot of time on it. Each one is a little movie about the place, an hour-long movie about the place. There's no commercials. You can really just sit and Watch and hopefully you laugh and hopefully you get the feeling of what it's like and you, you marvel at how gorgeous, uh, it is and you get hungry and
0: you want to go. I definitely do. I, I definitely do. I'm also hoping that this is just the beginning.
1: Me too, because I could do
0: this the rest of my life. That's <laughs> not, that wouldn't be terrible. No. Yeah. No, not at all. Phil, this is awesome. I mean, I, I am just sincerely. Just grateful to be able to talk to you today and uh to talk about what we've been talking about, but more so knowing that like again, uh there's so much to this. There's so much um to the food, to the laughing, to the to the bonding with the people. We didn't really mention that, but you interacting with the people in the different cultures again. That's the point. There's universal the yeah, there's just universality and relatability that's there as well.
1: Well, thanks. Uh
0: the show combines everything I love not just about show business right i'm making a
1: show Mm -hmm. it it utilizes everything i love about show business which is writing directing editing performing even right uh producing i love every aspect of show business except the business (laughs) and then it then combines the things i love in life the most family friends food travel and laughs and when you combine all of that i'm very lucky
0: well, I'm very happy for you and, and I'm so glad you're doing this. It's been awesome talking with you today, Phil. And I'm just going to say like easiest way for people to go find it is just literally type in the word Phil into your hey. Netflix search and it all, all <laughs> your stuff pops up. So. Oh, great. There you That's go. Nice. I tried that out. I was like, there you go. That's the easiest way. And, and I'll link it up. I'll link all of the stuff up in the show notes, the book, um, the, the shows and even the, the movie and in the show notes for the episode. Phil, it has been so awesome talking with you today.
1: Love talking to you, Eric. Uh, I hope we can do it again
0: sometime. Yeah, and and like I said, we meet in person. I will feed you. Yes. Where where are you calling from today? I, I am in Indiana. I'm about three hours south of Chicago. Wow. How's
1: the food there? I know it's good in Chicago. How is it where you live?
0: It's great. Well, I mean, again, my favorite sushi place, which holds you know its own with a lot okay. of places, is only about a five minute drive. So it's wow. Yeah. In Indiana. Yes. A good sushi bar in Indiana.
1: Yes. I'm excited. Yeah. That's great. See, the world, <laughs> the world is getting much better. The world, I think, you know, you can get a good meal almost anywhere now. And I, I, I would say it's because of the internet, yeah. because a kid in Indiana can see what the chef in Los Angeles or Tokyo is doing and try to replicate it
0: and then take it somewhere where nobody knows what it is. And then everybody can yeah. try new things. That's it. So we,
1: we have in our pocket the, the tool to learn about the world. It used to be the World Book Encyclopedia. Now we have it times a million and it's updated every second. We carry it with us. There's no excuse not to
0: know stuff. Yeah. So get out there and live your life, but also and, and travel, but also sit down with your family and have dinner. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Eric. Nice to meet you. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed revisiting this conversation with Phil Rosenthal like I did, and that you either are already enjoying watching somebody feed Phil, or you're jumping into it. And if you are just jumping into it, you've got some great TV in front of you for the holiday season. You're gonna love it. If you found this episode fun or helpful in any way, would you do me a favor of sharing it with somebody that you know needs to hear it? Think of that person. Hit the share button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening right now or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com and share it from there. Thank you again for sharing this episode. Thank you again for listening and I will see you next episode.